Hello and welcome back everybody to the OrthoTalk Podcast. This is episode number 35. This week we have a very, very, very special guest, Dr. Corey Janney. Corey was a resident with us at UTMB. He did his fellowship in foot and ankle at UTMB and now is working in the military in San Diego. He's been in practice for two and a half years and we talk about a lot of different topics on this podcast. Uh, a lot of boards uh, talk about collecting cases, what you have to submit for cases, tips not to fail. Uh, we talk about military medicine and what it's like to be in attending in the military, how to get involved in military medicine, and then talk about our favorite and least favorite bone. So give it a listen. Hope you guys enjoy it. Without further ado, Dr. Corey Janney. Hey, can we time out? All right. All good dudes. Stop what you're doing. This is time out. This is the OrthoTalk podcast. Today we are doing a real conversation with an illustrious guest, Surgeons today are Asith Khalid and Jay Chen. Antibiotics, ANSEF, of course, what do we even ask? Fire risk, high due to lit conversations and explosive topics. Any questions or concerns? Nope. All right, we can go. Incision. Welcome to the Ortho Talk podcast. We're here with an awesome guest, Dr. Corey Janney, former UTMB resident. Woo! And fellow. And fella, and right, yeah. uh, and, and recently cert- board certified orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, man, uh, definitely was uh, de- different doing boards in a in COVID year, you know. But what was but the all- process this year for you? Yeah, so um, so it kind of, you know started out like everything was the same. Uh, so you, you know you do your initial application. I think I did it December twenty nineteen. Um, you have to like apply, you know, uh, they, they verify that you pass part one, all that stuff. And then they send you an email. Um, they send you some emails in the early, like January, February timeframe, kind of give you some basic information about like boards. And then, um, and then, you know, you, you take, uh, you, or I guess it was what 2018, sorry, 2018, I, I got started the whole process, but, and then 2019, I collected like normal. Um, and then, and, at uh, the end of September, I think September 30th is your last day to collect. And, uh, your your actual case log you kind of you finish uploading everything into this scribe system where you log your cpts your um your cpts your ic your icd 10 diagnoses and then you send all that off um to them um in october so you finalize everything and send it off they get back to you around the april time frame the next year with your list where they say these 12 cases are your cases that we're gonna we're gonna do your boards on well, the problem is COVID kind of started in March. And so they, they were sending us emails like, uh, we're, we're still planning on doing boards in July. We're still planning on doing boards. And so, you know, we, I gathered all my documentation and sent it off because you, you have until, um, you have until I think middle of May. So you find out middle of April and you have about a month to get all your records together and then send them off. Um, and then you're supposed to go to Chicago in July and, and sit in front of the, the board examiners. But, um, we ended up getting an email sometime in May or May or June that said they were switching to a virtual format that apparently they've been working on for a number of years where they, they've actually figured out how they can correlate the records that you send, the documentation and all that stuff with who would ultimately pass boards anyway in an in-person format. Um, so what they do is they, they tell you, we'll get back to you in, um, in September um, because they have phases. So there's phase one where you could potentially kind of pass through the first part with, and not have to do a second part based on your documentation alone if you've been really good about it. Um, if they have questions or there's cases that they want to talk about, 
they'll they'll have you do um, essentially a, a board certification via Zoom where you would you would do your 12 cases and talk to the board examiners and uh, they would kind of grill you and do all that stuff virtually in October. And then they, they told us that they would let us know sometime in December whether you passed. But the, the key tagline to that email when they first explained the whole digital process was, just because you don't you aren't invited to the Zoom sessions doesn't mean you passed. So, <laughs> yeah, so you get told that you don't you don't. Sometime in September, you get told like, hey, you don't need to you might not need to partake in the, or you don't need to partake in the Zoom sessions, but it doesn't mean you passed. So you're just kind of waiting until December to find out. Well, shoot, did I pass or not? And if you didn't, you're uh, you could they plan to let you go sit the next July, and you could argue those cases in person, but the the hard part would be like if you didn't if you couldn't argue them or convince them of you know the merit or whatnot in the zoom sessions do you really feel like you could do it much better in person and i you know i don't really know but i, I heard and maybe jay um and mo i think you guys are collecting right now that they're still doing virtual for this year as well is that the the truth but next year they're still planning on in person there's been a couple so of i man it's kind of weird i saw i saw a message by the abos and now it's like I think it's uploaded onto their website too. That for the year above us, you know, uh, those guys they are planning to do in person, but they pushed it back a few months to October. Oh, so I so I guess they they expect it to be safer in October. So so as of now, they're they're still moving forward with in person, just just okay. delayed. But then for us, they haven't told us anything yet. But we're we we're we're trying to collect cases as as usual. You know, for most of us, that starts in April. Uh, for me, it started in February, so I'm I'm in my collection period. Mo is going to start collecting in a few weeks here. I mean, I feel like I, all in all, I I will give them hands down. The boards manage this very well. Um, you know, like it, I I completely understand. You know, you don't really hear anything. You know, uh, and so we all were kind of just sitting on the edge of our seats. But I like the fact that they were able to come up with a contingency plan that allowed us to still get certified in, in the year. Um, that we were supposed to certify is great because I, I'd heard that other specialties, I think general surgery, they just said, okay, well, we're not certifying anybody this year. And, you know, board certification is a big deal. And so, you know, you've, you've worked up to this point in your life to try to get board certified. And like the, if you can't, you know, then that can affect employment and different opportunities. And then the other thing that they did, which is very good is like, although our board certification was delayed, you know, most people find out in August, uh, whether they're board certified. We didn't find out till December, but our, our certification doesn't start till December. So it's good for 10 years from December instead of being like backed up a couple months where we didn't know, you know? So it's like, it's nice that it's kind of when we found out is when we were certified, which gives us that full 10 years to kind of meet the maintenance of certification and all that stuff. So I feel like they, I mean, the fact that they had a contingency plan was great that they still, you know, managed to get us certified and let us do all that. I mean, I, you know, especially in seeing that some of the other specialties did not have that capability or, or didn't allow people to get certified. I mean, it was a big deal. So I, I applaud them on that. That being said, I wish I'd known sooner. <laughs> yeah. So, but, How did you feel when you, when you found out, what you, would you sell? Did you celebrate? what did you do? Oh man. I mean, it, it's just like, it's kind of funny. It's like a weight has been lifted. Like, you know, cause you're, you're just not sure. And, um, and you know and they, they they purposely they make they make it not easy right like when they pick your 12 cases they don't pick 12 slam dunks mm -hmm. they they pick because you report your complications in that collection period so they picked you know a, a handful of complications which you know lucky 
like I, I documented the heck out of everything. Like any, I, I have just literally paragraphs of in my assessment plan, like kind of explaining why my thought process is the way it is, what I'm doing and moving forward. And, uh, and so, you know, that way, not just because like, I, even if I wasn't going, I didn't obviously know COVID was going to happen or boards, but um, Dr. Mosslin, when he came back and he was in board collection, he had, you know, he kind of had us doing that when we were residents, like dictate a paragraph into your, um, into your assessment plan, like dictate it for me. So I understand what our thought process was for this case, because it's going to be a year later, over a year later, when I'm actually looking back at it to go from the examiners, you know, I need to know why did we decide to do something a certain way. And I really feel like that, that super helped, you know, like I, I, you know, kind of understood like, you know, it, 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 I'm now like documenting all this stuff and reviewing it in a year after in some of the cases from April. And I'm like, well, why did I do it that way? Oh, that's why, because, you know, this person had transport issues. That's why she never followed up after her first post-op. We, but we also organized and we had documented that we had organized follow-up at a different place, you know, and all this stuff. And so, um, but you like, you, you, you get the results and you're like, man, I passed, this is great. And then you look at your case list for the next day and you're like, all right, back to work, you know? So it's, it's <laughs> yeah. great. But you're like, you're like, okay, well now I'm board certified. That's awesome. But it, then, it, you know, but now I just need to kind of keep moving forward, you know, and you start, um, you get a couple e an email a couple weeks later, kind of starting to walk you through the uh, maintenance certification process when that's going to start and all that stuff. And you're like, all right, now I'm back to it, you know? So, um, so I mean, it's definitely, it lifts a weight off your shoulders. Cause like you've worked to that point for a really long time, but then like the weight's really not gone because then you go right back to work, you know? So I don't know. What are some what are some of the other things you did during your collections to like tips or advice or anything? Oh, I you know, truthfully, I wish I'd been I'd actually been a little better. Um, so some of my partners had had recommended like different things. And uh one of my partners, Dr. Smith, she's a uh Jen Smith, she's a sports orthopedic surgeon. Um, and she had went through boards a couple years before me, and she was saying like things that she did that that were super helpful for her were like, you know, every case that she was gonna take the OR, she had like she had like three-inch uh, binders that she would basically keep a copy of the consent, keep a copy of, of anything, you know, important kind of in there that could potentially get lost. Like what if a consent isn't scanned in? And so I, I initially intended to do that, but it was just, it was just hard to do. Um, and I feel like it, it kind of depends on your case volume. I mean, I wasn't like, get, I didn't get knocked out of the water. And one of my, one of my hand partners who took boards had like 250 cases. And I think Hilda in El Paso had like uh, 200 or something. So, but I, I had like 130. And so, trying to, I started like really good. I tried to keep copies of those records and stuff, but then within like a week, I was just like, I was like, well, I hope they scan it in. And then when I, I didn't even, Corey, I didn't even get started. I haven't even been scanning in my, like because I actually ran into an issue where I couldn't find uh, two of my consents. Yeah. One was IT nail I did and one was a TTC um, and could not find the consents. And luckily our business manager in the office had a contacted patient admin that she was able to like reach out and they were able to like comb through the records and find a copy for me, which like, for, like wow. a, a couple days there, I was like freaking out whether I could I'd be able to find it or not, you know? Um, but then I found like all these other consents for patients that they didn't pull. And I'm like, ah, oh, dang it. You know? So, <laughs> yeah. um, but that would be like, you know, something that if you can, I, I'd recommend just because you, you know, the hospitals are big moving things and you know, there's a lot of gears. And if, if something doesn't get scanned in or something falls out of a chart and then you're trying to go back and find something, you know, um, that, that part's hard. And then the other thing is, uh, the boards gives you an opportunity to get the patient to sign a release form, uh, to, you know, just leave their name and stuff on the records. And 
I didn't do that. And that was probably a non insignificant amount of my time was spent going back and redacting records, mm. um, which Adobe pro is great. If you have everything scanned in, it recognizes the text. And so I would like put it all together as one giant PDF. And then I would just search through and find like their name, their MRN, their birth, their, like all that yeah. stuff and get rid of it. Um, and then I would have, but then I'd have to like separate them all back out into individual files and name them. So uh, if you can get him to sign that waiver, it does make the process easier. Um, one of my partners just waited till he got his case list. Then he contacted those patients and said, like, would you mind signing this for my boards? And so that's another way of doing it. If you don't want to have everybody sign one, then you have to maintain. So you uh, can't get in touch with like two of those 12 patients. So I think if you, if you can't get in touch and you say you have the release for like 10 patients, and this is something you have to verify. I think if, as long as you have it for the, for the pay, for certain patients, you can, you can leave them unredacted. But then the ones that you can't get in touch with, then they those will probably just be the files that you have to redact. So, um, and in arguably uh, the the like that was probably one of the more painful parts of the process because you know, some of, one of, one of my patients. I mean, I, I saw him you know like every couple of weeks for you know almost a year, and so the uh, the amount of records that he had were like a lot, and so I had to go back and just mm -hmm. make sure that every single mention of his name, every everything for his MRN. You know, it was all redacted, so it just took a while. But so, what um, what exactly do you have to send to them? So they tell you to, that you, you know you need to send pertinent records, and and uh, but they kind of like leave it like to that. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's open to interpretation. Um, so I would send, I sent, you know, obviously like uh, first visit HMP, um, you know, the consent form, uh, post op visits, and then you send all radiographs, and so. Uh, you know, you send, you send radiographs that they think are pertinent, but so most of my people get x-rays at two weeks, six weeks, 12 weeks, and then, you know, six months that they come back. So I, I just sent those, those x-rays, or if I got a CT, I would, it, it, that's the hard part with CTs and MRIs because you, you can only send like a screenshot essentially. Mm. You, you can't upload the entire like DICOM. Yeah. So it's up to you to kind of find like the most pertinent pictures to upload from that MRI. Um, this is for every case. This is for the no, the twelve cases. Oh, just the twelve. Okay. Yeah. So for the for the collection period, you just upload the ICD ten, and then the CPT codes. For oh, okay. So those are pretty the, important then. Yeah. So then then and then any complications if there's complication with the patient, you'll go through and they have like drop down boxes to help you navigate um, for like whether it's a medical complication or whatever. You can give a little spiel about it, mm -hmm. and then that's what they look at to pick your twelve cases because they're they're really trying to get a a good feel of you as an orthopedic surgeon. Like if they don't pick a complication, because you know, every, everybody has something, whether it's a, you know, suture abscess, that's mm -hmm. technically a complication post-op, whether it's a non-union, which can happen, you know, all those things. So if you, if you don't, then I think that's even more questionable for the 12 cases. Yeah. Like everybody gets something, you know, so everybody has yeah. something happen. And so they, they pick a good, um, a good selection of your cases because they basically want to make sure you're not, you know, you're reacting appropriately you're getting them plugged in with services that they need. You're addressing the issues that they have. And then um, that you're not just like burying your head in the sand and just kind of hoping something goes away, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you know, that being said, I mean, it's, it's also the other thing that they like, they look for is like a really short follow-up. Like if you, if you had a, uh, say a P-Lon you did at, or an I, like an IT fracture you did, and they all followed up in six weeks and never again, then they may have questions about like, well, what happened with that patient, you know? Mm -hmm. Because they're also contacting them on the back end. If if you provided their email addresses, they do, they contact the patients with promise surveys to kind of so, um, which we I, I still have never found out like what happened with that with our patients. 
but um because the, the fear was like if you oh you're like yeah i saw my patient 12 weeks he's doing great he never followed up again and then they like would hit you you know the question was would they hit you with the survey saying well it looks like they're doing terrible at 12 months you're like oh no <laughs> um but we never uh, that wasn't really raised or and that hasn't been like um dealt out to us i need to probably reach out to them at some point because they said that information would be available at some mm-hmm. point so yeah but it's I, like i said I, I think all in all like it's arguably i think ours is one of the most stringent board certification processes that they that any specialty has i mean yeah. it takes minimum of what two years at least outside of graduating before you can actually become board certified and so um we don't take just a written test we don't get hypotheticals these are literally people that we cared for and so um it's it's a stressful process but you know i think it it really does they do try to like figure out whether people are you know doing the right thing for patients how selective were you with your cases i i you know i i wasn't you know um very selective i mean my, you know, uh, my very first case uh, was a TN non-union mm. was my very first collection. It was yeah. like, like, uh, like second or third day in April. So I was like, well, if it's my patient, you know, um, she, yeah. this person had a complication and I got to take care of it. So, you know, I just, well, luckily everything was documented and then um, they didn't pick that case, but uh, and it's, it's funny. Cause they don't, they don't pick the things that you think they're going to pick. Mm-hmm. Like I had one. I was so proud of myself. I had one pediatric super condyler yeah. that I did. Kid did awesome. I was so proud of myself. And they didn't pick that case. I, that was my only <laughs> pediatric case, all aboard collection. And I was like, 100%, they're going to pick this one because it's the only only case I have that's pediatrics in this collection period. And they didn't. It blew my mind. Like, I, I thought they'd want to mix it up. And, and then some of the things that did pick, I was like, this was like really routine, really surprising that they yeah. did this, you know? And so... I don't know. They they've got a they've got their algorithm that they follow, I guess, and uh, they kind of they catch you off guard a little bit. You're like, yeah. oh, huh, I didn't expect that one, you know. So well, I'm glad you said that because I had this I had this talk with Jay like every couple times a week where we're talking about like because I don't have anyone to send cases to up here, right? So like, yeah, if I get if I get a revision ACL, like I'm doing it in the next six months. I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sacrifice like the growth of my practice and like my career by doing hard cases, if that makes sense. I might be doing anything crazy, but like, um, no, yeah, you no, know, like tough cases. Like it's that. documentation though. That's really right. what it comes down to. You, you know, where you're at, you have a limitation in the, uh, you're, you are the orthopedic surgeon for your community. Right. And, you know, you've, you've got to take care of what you got to take care of. And you trained in a program where you did all this random stuff and, you know, you had this exposure and, you know, you're not going to take something on that you don't feel like you can do. But at the same time, like some of your patients probably don't have somebody they can refer out to. Yeah. So you document, you know, and you do the right thing for your patient and then everything will be fine on the tail end. You know, I mean, that's kind of how I feel. I, I wasn't truly selective. Um, I did I did a few, few cartivas during board collection. Mm-hmm. There's literature. <laughs> so as long as there's literature, you know, and, um, and literature says they do well, but it's still a new procedure, you know, yeah. and so I, I still did them. Did any of those get picked? Uh, two of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> truthfully, uh, truthfully, two of them got picked and both of them went on to fusions late nice. because, you know, um, I, I'm kind of reevaluating the osteoporotic female. Yeah. Don't recommend a Cartiva. Um, <laughs> and then the, the other person was just a really active guy that I, you know, I just don't, I, you know, we know that they, that they, they can fail, you know, but it's, but you, that, that was the thing that I counseled everybody on was, uh, hey, gold standard still a fusion. 
Mm-hmm. There's this other thing that, you know, uh, the results are pretty good. Literature is really good for it. But if it fails, you get a fusion. And luckily, the literature shows that if you get a fusion after Cartiva, it's, it's just as good as if you went with a fusion from the port at the get go. So, you know, um, and, you know, they, they both, uh, you know, one of them uh, went and he had, he had already moved. And so he was having a fusion done somewhere else. But the other one I took care of and, and that person's doing great now. And so um, I got lucky, you know, but, but it was definitely, and, and it happened after, like, I, it's funny because I, I saw that patient in board collection and they were doing really well. So I sent the records off, you know, when they were doing really well. And then when, when they came back with it, where they're like, yeah, my toe hurts again. And um, I was like, oh, okay. Um, but, it, but I was like, obviously I didn't, re- I didn't report it as a complication because they were doing well in the collection period. And so, but then when they picked it, I just kind of updated the records and everything, let them know that, you know, the patient didn't develop pain again, that I revised them. And I sent all the new records afterwards to up to them and, you know, it was, seems to have gone fine. So. Nice. Yeah. I keep telling myself this and I don't know how true it is, but I keep telling myself, like, you're not going to fail boards by doing tough cases. You're going to fail boards by one, not documenting and two, not being able to back up what you do. You think that's, that's pretty true? That's it. And that's kind of what the vibe that I've gotten is uh, in talking with my partners and stuff. It's, it's the documentation side of it because you want to let them know <clears throat> why did you do the thing that you did, you know, but, and then also just doing the right thing, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, I think the majority of people, if you graduate the residency, you know what the right thing to do for people is like, that's what you learned while you're in residency. But um, sometimes the right thing is not the easiest thing, you know, right. so making sure that you're, you do the right thing for your patients, you know, all the time and not just like, you know, and so that's what I thought was funny um, with, uh, with, I think last year's uh, 2020s collection period, they, the boards, you know, obviously was trying to adjust to the fact that a lot of places had put elective cases on hold. Right. So they said, okay, well, we're going to back up your collection date all the way to January. So just log those cases. And apparently they got a bunch of emails from people that were like, oh my God, I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. And they sent out this email and the line was something along the lines of, uh, oh, I well, saw this. Yeah. We, we expect, that, uh, you will be practicing, you know, appropriate and, uh, um, like appropriate care for your patients at all times, not just during work <laughs> collection. And so I, I thought that was pretty funny, but, and I think truthfully, the majority of people do, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, um, I think truthfully, the majority of people are trying to do best for their patients. And, and I think it really comes down to just documenting and letting the board know where you were at the time, what you were doing, what was going on. And, you know, um, especially with, I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna see that this year with cases that were collected, you know, last year with boards when they look back and they're like, well, why was this case? Why did this case not go? Well, because the hospital wouldn't let it go, you know, like, mm-hmm. why would, you know, because of COVID, they had restrictions on cases or what have you. And, um, and it's really going to be up to the appropriate documenting that I think is going to save the surgeon, because it's, it might have been limitations on what they were allowed to do, you know, and so yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's, if you're taking care of your patient in an appropriate manner, and you're, you're documenting well, which you should do anyway, then I think you're gonna be fine, you know, um, Although I don't, I don't uh, envy you being the guy for your community, uh, but it, you know, I, I think you'll be fine. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's easy defense, Mo. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not, revision, it's not that bad. Like, there, there's a couple of community guys around here. Like, I, there's a hand surgeon that can send stuff to you, and like, you know, Syracuse is 30 minutes away. Utica is 30 minutes away. So it's not like yeah. I'm that and far out. Thing, if there's something that's just outside your wheelhouse yeah. that you can't do, you gotta refer them out. You know, yeah. and that. And that's still that's still an appropriate care for your patient, right? Right, like, right. Documenting why you know ultimately you referred that patient out, I think you'll be fine. You know, so 
Now Jay's gonna have the hard part. Yeah. You know <laughs> that uh... I'm, I'm I'm struggling to balance it right now. So uh, I I had a guy I had a board examiner during my fellowship. I went to a course and the, a board examiner was there, and he basically flat out told all the people at the course, "We will fail you if you don't try non op on every patient before you sign them up for surgery." Mm-hmm. And for, for elective, for elective cases. And I think I mean, it's good practice in general, but what do you do when a guy comes to your clinic and this, this may or may not have happened with end stage palate rigidus and it, you, he, he knows the risks of surgery. He knows the you know, risk benefits. He knows the alternative, the alternative options. You've explained it all to him. And as a well-informed patient, he decides he wants a fusion and not a, not a orthotic, you know, in, in that case, you, you know, do you just document and sign them up, or do you try again to try an orthotic for at least a few weeks? No, you document, and and because at the end of the day, the patient it's a it's a relationship, right? Like it's right. a it's a, you have a relationship with your patient, and you you have to make sure that they're informed what you're doing, but you just have to document, like you know, um, patient, you know, patient has. Because a lot of my patients already, by the time they get to me, the primary care has actually appropriately had them going through therapy, had them going through whatever, has oftentimes tried orthotics. And so when they get to me, the very first time they meet me, they've already done that whole slew or our PAs put them through their, the whole like thing. And then <laughs> a lot of surgical consults. So when they got to me, it was like, they were there to book surgery. That That's why they're mm-hmm. here. And so, uh, you know, you document, you just say, look, the the this the patient's choices to proceed now um if if they you know haven't tried everything then you know you could you could talk to them you, know, you just got to talk to them about make sure that you document that you talked about everything steroid injections etc but if they want to proceed I, you know i think at the end of the day like sometimes people's lives are in a good spot right now for surgery but might not be in six months you know and like that person may have assistance now that they like so somebody's staying with them that they may not be there in six months you know all those little things that right. you don't necessarily know the full picture to and so there's oftentimes a reason why they kind of are trying to get that. And I think you have to document that being said, non-op absolutely important for a you know, good majority of the patients, but every patient's different and you, you have to approach them different, you know, and you just, you document, like I said, to, to let the board know where your head's at, you know? Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Luckily for me, his, his A1C was a little elevated. So I could use that as a reason to push him off too. I told him to get his A1C down. <laughs> But that's also appropriate care right there. You yeah, know? it is. It is. Yeah. So, I mean, um, it, you know, it, it, it kind of, you got to do what's right for the person. And so you're, and, I, and you're doing it, you know, uh, you, you also, you're allowed to buy yourself some time sometimes, but it, you're still getting them in a better spot for surgery. But then you, you say, Hey, do you want to try these things in the interim? You know? So. Nice. Hey, Jay, just randomly, what's your cutoff for AMC? I've been, I've been doing eight. I mean, I, I you know, a lot of these patients, they, they won't be able to get down to like under seven or, or ideal. So I've, I've arbitrarily chosen eight. I've, I've been doing some reading. I think it's a, it's a good number. There's some evidence for it, but you know, there's also evidence for seven, five and there's evidence for whatever. So you, you can kind of find what, what you want, but I think eight is reasonable for my what, population. What about smoking? Oh, I don't, I don't do elective surgery in, in smokers. Even That's like, the, even like a, like a hammer toe. Yeah, I don't do elective surgery. I, I make them quit for six weeks. Do you do that's a something, That's something I learned in my fellowship. They they don't do elective surgery. Yeah, in my fellowship on smokers. So. Yeah, I'm. A, I don't know. I'm. A, mine's a little. I I kind of vary mine depending on the surgery. Like if 
I need something to heal, like either fracture, I mean, well, fracture, I can't do it. Right? Like, fracture's not elective, but like a cuff or an ACL, like a meniscus repair or something like that, I won't do. But um, if it's a carpal tunnel, or if it's like a trigger finger or something where basically the, the biggest thing is wound healing issues, I'll talk to them and I'll document basically like, I talked to this patient about the risk of smoking and told him that he's at high risk for all, you know, all this stuff and they wanted to proceed and I agreed to, so we just proceeded. As long as you document, you're fine. I mean, I hate to keep going back to that, but it's all about documentation. Yeah. I mean, right. I think it's um, it's, it's also, uh, you know, because the problem with smoking is that it's not just the smoking. It's the nicotine. So a lot of people yeah. are like, oh, right. there's patches. And you're like, no, yeah, you can quit everything, you know? Yeah. And so that's, the, that's the hard part. So, yeah, you have to, I mean, Duke, Duke will, those guys will put a total ankle in, in anybody. And, you know, there's... Ex- Except for smokers, that's like the, that's like the one thing that they don't do. Like, oh, BMI, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, BMI fifty will sign you up. You know, smoking, no. So yeah, I mean, that's that's just it's a habit I I learned from fellowship. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> better or worse. It's you know, um, it's just kind of crazy. So you're not you're you're in a uh, mo you're in a just a general practice up there uh no residents no fellows nothing nope nope it's just me so it's kind of a it was a weird situation so like i came up here as a locums basically like right after fellowship and uh they had a couple guys around who had who had been employed by the hospital but they were both older guys so one of them retired like two years ago and then the other guy is basically on his way out he doesn't operate anymore he does like two clinic days a week and that's about it so they've been looking for someone. And then I came up here as a locums, uh, basically just to temporize and see what opens up when, you know, when COVID kind of dies down. And uh, I just kind of stayed up here. <laughs> so, yeah, it's good though. It's, it's nice. Cause I, I walked into like, I walked into basically a fully operational practice. So like, you know, the, the patients are all there. I didn't really have to build anything up. They just kind of walked into a practice. And uh, it's also nice because they're, basically trying to redo the whole orthopedics department here so i'm getting to basically build it the way i want to like awesome. hire who i want do, use whatever implants i want like manage my block time like all, all that kind of stuff so it was a perfect mix of like freedom and not having to answer to people and just getting to do my own thing but then you know the downside is that i don't have anyone else here except but i did have a pa i had a pa who has basically been here for 10 years who's um, you know, it's a couple years older than me. So um, that was really nice too. just had well, that, a little experience. That's what we should revisit uh, at a later talk. Once you guys are done with your boards is, um, is talk to uh, or come back and talk to like Jay and, you know, I having done it myself and talk to you and, and even see if we can get, um, you know, maybe uh, somebody else who did just with no residents, no fellows, because Boards is different when you have residents, um, uh-huh. you know, allotting like, like, uh, you know, kind of earlier, uh, before we started recording, we'd talk about like, how much do you let them do in the, in the operating room, you know, during your board collection period, um, trying to allot that is very different. And, um, and then their documentation, because you have to kind of re-review all of their documents. You might have mm-hmm. to edit some of them. You might have to do this, do that. And, um, and so it's all like very, very different, um, so, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, it's, it would be a, it'd be another interesting talk. I think later on once you guys have been through it. Yeah. It's probably a lot more work for you, Jay, I'm sure. 
Well, but but at the same time, it's like uh, it, it it can be less too because if they do the all the documentation, you know, and they like write up like why you did something for somebody, well, then you can kind of come in and just put a little blurb, you know. But yeah. then you know, uh, but you just have to really cross reference everything. Right. Whereas you, for you, it, you're the man. But then you also don't have to like go back and check everything because you know that you're putting the putting in what you're putting in. So it's kind of it's definitely a different vibe, you know. Um, and it's it's like I said, it's kind of hard because it's like you. You just finished fellowship and then all of a sudden you're, you're like you're doing these cases and it's like well i i just finished like i don't want to do the case yeah, you right. also kind of like let the residents do stuff so it's it's such a different you know experience um yeah so but anyway you can't really justify like a resident error on your case right like no, like, no, like if they break like if, they, if they break off a drill bit in the bone or something in that x-ray you know, pulls up and they're like, what the hell? Yeah, that's, that's, that's your drill bit. Yeah, that's, that's your drill bit, right? So, yeah. no. I've been, I've been letting my residents do, um, for simple cases, I'm letting them do all the case, the entire case for harder cases. What's a simple um, case to you? I've been hands on. Uh, I think even try my, try my ankles, I let my residents do. Um, and then anything, you know, basically the only cases I've done myself, like literally just kind of in my mind going into the case that I'm going to do has been total ankles and peel on fractures and every, everything else. By total ankles, I mean total ankle one, the one I've done. But <laughs> uh, then pylons, I, I go in with the mindset that I'm going to do those. But every other case, I've, I've tried to get the residents to, to be primary on. And sometimes the residents tell me, they're not interested in this particular case i'm like oh great i'll i'll do it then and that makes me uh yeah i'm glad they're able to be open and honest with me as pty5s what they care about and, and they don't care about so how closely are you watching them though like does uh, it start to I'm, finish i'm watching them very close extremely <laughs> yeah, close like i'm not i mean, even, I mean they're they're it's nothing like they're great residents and uh but at the same time if there's a complication in my first year right and uh, it's it's you know it's gonna be on me so i've, I've scrubbed pretty much every case except for like um x fixes like you know delta frames i can kind of step back on on your collections huh on your collections it's just in general since i've started oh, okay i've scrubbed like every case except for like delta frames and you know knee spanning x fixes or whatever but every other case I've, I've scrubbed even like it nails so but again i think that yeah. that like that's the that's the thing though it's a you're, you're giving you're giving appropriate supervision but um yeah that, that kind of goes with uh that like I, I i know i've railed on this uh before but is um the whole case volume thing i think is just not even not even a reasonable thing now i i mean obviously there, there should be a cutoff right if you do five cases in your residency right. battle, but um, you know, it, you know, if you do 3000, you're not, we, we all know having been residents that you're not doing that case, you know, on busy yeah, right. when they do 10 in a day, you're not actively doing much, if not really any of that case. And so you know, that's why I, I, I feel like a, a lower volume for a resident, but with appropriate supervision and care and teaching is even more fruitful than you know like way too many cases where they're not doing anything you know fellowship yeah, is the same exactly Absolutely. so i mean my volume right now is like probably between 15 and 25 cases a month so i, I have got time to, to supervise and not not be in a, in a rush you know every week i'll just do like a handful of cases so 
from a hospital perspective if you're meeting your metrics and all those things then you're good to go you know like i mean obviously there's always incentives for production and this and that and um you know and, and doing more cases and stuff and and i mean there are ways to do more cases and still have appropriate teaching i'm not implying that at all um but uh but you know i, I think the whole point of residency is to teach your residents and so um, you know, I feel like if you're, if the program's like stuck on, well, our volume is too low, we need to upper volume, upper volume. Well, then you worry that in that rush, you're going to start to lose some of the, the human te like, you know, interaction and teaching for sure. And, um, and, and then it becomes a little bit more scut work for the resident. Like, oh yeah, I did all the orders. I did, I did all the orders and I stood there while they did the case. And then I did all the orders again mm -hmm. and, and yeah. you know, I'm writing all the notes in clinic. And so, um, you know, there's definitely, it's, it's, you got to find that balance. And I, I had a, I had to tell one of my residents um, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I was like, Hey, you know, like I can see people in clinic without you. Like, I don't mind, you know, like you don't have to rush to see every person. Like I can do it too, you know, um, like so that you can, you know, take time to work on your note to do whatever, you know, like, like, cause man, she was like getting room to room to room to room to room. And I'm like, good God. Like I haven't like, she's yeah. seen the way that I'm gonna write my yeah. own note today. And you know, um, and like, I don't want, I don't, I don't want my resident to feel like it's, it's scut work, you know, and um, yeah, I want them to take time to kind of be able to reflect on that experience, reflect on their exam, you know, what was different when I went in or my thought process was different, you know, stuff like that. And I think if you get too much volume, you get lost in the weeds and then they're not really getting anything to stick, you know? So. Yeah. Corey, you're, you're kind of unique in that, you know, you've been in, you've been in a, a civilian program and now you're at a, in a military program. Can you tell us kind of what what were the differences? Oh man, the age! I, like UTMB, <laughs> UTMB, you know, it, like everybody's all over the map. You know, we had we had older yeah. patients, you know, younger young patients, older patients, but you know, a lot of our patients, especially in in like Dr. Punchpivey's clinic, are uh, you know, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. You know, like and and then right now, I probably ninety percent or you know, or so of my volume is like these young active you know yeah. members that are uh that all have a capacity to heal you know and so it's it's very like don't have comorbidities you know like um it, it's definitely just very different and then the other thing is is uh which i was explaining to my residents the other day um is you know we have our, our patients have insurance oh yeah they have they have, have tricare every one of them and so if something happens they get they can come back you know there's no question of like, are they going to be able to have to, are they going to be able to have surgery or not? And, you know, I was kind of explaining it to them about, you know, cause they're, they're being grown up in the system where, you know, every patient that they see is able to come back and get seen or get taken care of. And um, I was explaining to them about like some of the things that we had to do as residents where, you know, you have an ankle fracture in an undocumented immigrant, you know, construction worker. Well, what you do, I mean, you, 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 uh, you kind of skirt the line and you, it's emergent so we can get them taken care of, you know, like, otherwise he's going to, yeah. you're going to splint them and he's never going to have surgery. And then, you know, he can't work, so he can't care for his family. Right. So, whereas like this population, it's like, all right, this guy's got an ankle fracture, splint them, we'll, we'll operate on him in two weeks, you know, like it's, it's definitely a different, um, experience, you know? And so, uh, it like it almost seems kind of like third world sometimes where like some of the things that we would have to do to get yeah. people taken care of you know like insurances you remember like uh you, you have to call to like argue with some doctor in yep. you know, another part of the state about why you you need yep. to do the surgery and as a resident we would do that you know and here it's like i'm just like hey i want to do a surgery okay cool let's do it you know 
and and so uh it's it's so interesting like not having to do that stuff um and then also there you know there's obviously other other differences like we have uh we have things called collateral because collaterals like you you need to promote right you gotta mm-hmm. promote the next rank and being a good good surgeon is uh is important like but they but you also have to like be a part of the hospital and be on these committees and this and that so it shows that you're a team player and <laughs> And to be able to like, you know, uh, get up for promotion. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a different vibe, you know, like the things that you, you think would matter sometimes like doing research and, you know, uh, doing a ton of cases sometimes aren't exactly the fit for like what you need to do, do to get like your next promotion, you know? And so kind of a different, different vibe, but, uh, but it's all, it's all good. I mean, it was a fantastic place to do boards because I didn't have to worry about somebody not really following up, like (laughs) having insurance or, you know, all those things. And then I'm also a multi-specialty, like I'm part of a teaching program. So like I had so many people, I have two foot and ankle partners I could bounce things off of, you know, there's trauma, kind of everything. And so I, and, and if I want to get somebody slotted in with like my, my bunion patient, who's now doing good complaints of shoulder pain. Hey, Hey Deb, can you get them into sports? In the next- <laughs> yeah, I can, you know, can you get an MRI? Oh yeah, they can afford it. You know, like, cause they don't have to pay yeah. anything. So it's, it's such a weird uh, experience that like, it'll definitely be hard to get used to the civilian side again eventually you know um just because it's it's so different you probably get some great pathology too not tdc pathology yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, because tdc was its own unique beast but i mean something like you you get a lot of uh you get a lot of interesting stuff and so uh but we you know they really wound down like the 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 wars and stuff and so you know back i was a med student and i rotated through like walter reed and portsmouth you know they were still taking care of a lot of the wounded warriors and stuff like that around that time. And now you really just don't see that as often, you know, um, yeah. just so, because, which is great. I mean, I'm not implying at all that it's bad, but it's definitely um, like those were cases. I remember as a med student where I'm like, what do you like trying to figure out what the surgeon is going to do? And they're trying to figure out what they're going to do for the, you know, their patients. And um, you know, I, I, a lot of it's really bread and butter foot and ankle for me uh, majority of the time. So yeah, I mean, Why do soldiers sometimes? Sometimes soldiers show up in my clinic, and it's great. And I, you know, I like treating them. But in my head, I'm like, uh, what makes them come to like my clinic versus like a some military clinic somewhere? Like, what are the logistics behind? Because the nearest, the nearest uh, MTF or, or military. Uh, um, oh my god, MTF. Uh, that's no. This isn't good. Leave this part out. Like the nearest, like. Uh, hospital for that the military runs is in um is probably stamsey for a lot of patients whereas like you've got national guard there you've got coast guard there in in the houston area and so and like in at ellington you know they've got national guard and stuff like that and so they when they need to be taken care of tricare just foots the bill for them to go to a civilian Mm -hmm. but if there's a hospital like if there's a mtf nearby they'll they'll prioritize that so like we get, you know, we have a hundred and like ten or fifteen thousand service members in San Diego, and so they they either go to us or go to Camp Pendleton because there's hospitals there. But at the same time, if if we are not, you know, if um if we can't get them in in a soon enough time frame, then Tricare will, will send them out in town instead, you know, so mm-hmm. that they can get taken care of. And so you you're just kind of you UTMB is probably one of the catch-alls, you know, for uh for the guys that are there that don't have a military hospital because costs are, are probably lower at the military hospital than paying civilians, mm-hmm. but um, civilian providers, but you know, there's nothing available for them to there by to keep the cost low, you know? 
Gotcha. So. Makes sense. <clears throat> so military residency. So you have residents. Yep. Is it is it a lot different than residency at UTMB or is it pretty similar? It's pretty similar. So I mean they have um, you know, they, we have we take five a year. Um so we have five a year and then everybody's got their services. So uh, the, the interesting thing that I hadn't really experienced, I, I, when I was a med student, I rotated through Navy hospitals, I experienced it, but then we don't have it there is they have something called cast room. So the cast room is, is, um, is overseen by an attending and there's different attendings each day that kind of oversee the residents, but it's really a resident run service where, uh, you know, traumas, post-op traumas, um, non-op, you know, stuff like distal radiuses and stuff that are being non-op will all kind of come in through that clinic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they'll see like stuff that was, you know, say somebody broke their ankle and we're seeing an ER out in town. Well, they'll come through the cast room when they come in and they'll plug them into like the appropriate surgeon. And uh, so these residents run it the whole time. And then, but then they, you know, they have attending oversight, but, um, but it's, it was really like a weird, like a resident run service was like a rarity. I mean, you hear about it like internal medicine, different things sometimes like they'll have resident run clinics, but the military has that, which I thought was very interesting. And then, um, we actually, you know, we have a number of out-service rotations that the residents do. Like they go to Radies, which is a children's hospital here. They do pediatric orthopedics. Um, they go to Denver to do orthopedic trauma. So they get a really good level one trauma. Uh, but they, so we really like, they balance everything very well with different services. Um, but they, at the end of the day, like they'll wear their uniform, you know, and then yeah. they, they won't deploy. Like uh, they, they will not deploy or anything like that while they're in their training period. But um, then when they go out, they'll, they'll go to a military hospital. They'll be an orthopedic surgeon for, you know, four to seven years, depending on at least depending on where they trained, like for medical school. And um, and then, you know, then they can get out if they want to or they'll they'll stay in or whatever. Um, but it's very similar to, to UTMB, like how it's most programs, I think, where you there's certain services you do at different hospitals or, you know, whatever balances the rotations well and gives a good experience. And so um, it, it's it's just a residency, man. It's just right. people in uniforms instead. So how'd you end up in a civilian residency and fellowship then? So they have a, they have a program called HBSP, which is the Health Professional Scholarship Program. So I I did that um, for medical school. So they paid for my medical school in South Carolina, and then you, in your fourth year of resident or med school, you'll go and you'll rotate at military hospitals and. Um, in the specialty you're trying to match in. And then uh, in October of that year, I think it's November, there, there's this big board that meets with like all the Navy and Army and Air Force guys all kind of meet and they like look through everybody's applications and then they'll kind of slot them into spots. And mm. so um, if you're, you know, if, if you're competitive and it's, you know, a, a easy year, you know, we have 12 Navy spots and, um, you know, most years about 30 to 40 people that are applying for them. And so in, uh, we meet everybody cause pretty much everybody will rotate that's Navy, you know, mm-hmm. during that, that kind of six month period in the fall. Um, but, uh, but what, so you rotate and then but when the board meets, they'll be like, they'll kind of decide like, all right, this person gets a Navy spot. This person we're going to defer out to a civilian residency. And so my year, uh, we had about 45 people applying for the 12 spots. And so they, they deferred something like, like 12 people my year which was like unheard of mm-hmm. uh and so like pretty much all of us were out in the civilian match and trying to find spots you know so but you find out in december so you're like you're sitting there and you go in these rotations and you're like you're kind of going on civilian interviews and 
you then all of a sudden in December, you find out like either you matched or you're deferred. And then you, if you didn't, if you got deferred, then you like keep doing interviews. I mean, oh. uh, yeah, UTMB was my last civilian interview that I did as a medical student and uh, ended up being my first you know, choice for residency, which was awesome that I matched there. Um, but you just kind of, you just, you're like paying and hoping, you know, either you hear something good yeah. in December or then you got to wait till March. So, um, and it's like, uh, huh? sorry, no good. Oh, no, I was going to say, so if you do HPSP, you owe, um, you owe four years after residency that you come in. Mm -hmm. Um, if there's also a military medical school called, uh, USIS in, um, it's in Maryland near, uh, Walter Reed. It's near, it's in near Bethesda. And, um, those, they take, uh, I can't, I don't remember how many hundreds of students, but the, all of them are active duty while they're in medical school and they, so they get paid, you know, um, a pretty good salary while they're in medical school. And so they, they'll owe seven years when they complete medical school. Um, and so the, a lot of them end up in in the military residencies too, but some of them will end up going to civilian, but then when they finish, they'll owe seven. But for yeah. me, because I did the fellowship while I was fell while I was getting fellowship trained, I was active duty. So I picked up another two, which is why I was six total. Got so, it. so yeah. if you don't, if you don't match in the civilian match, then what? So one of my buddies didn't. Um, so he got a prelim surgery year and they let him reapply and he matched his second go round. Oh, but if you don't, if you don't, then um, oftentimes you go in as what's called a general medical officer where, mm -hmm. you know, you'll, you'll, Kind of be like a, almost like a primary care doctor uh, to a unit or different things. So um, some people, some people do that. They'll do a pre, they, a lot of the residencies. Um, they do a prelim year, and then they'll GMO, and then they'll go back and finish residency later on. Mm -hmm. uh, so military is kind of working to do away with. But some people would do that prelim year, do their GMO, and then they would wait, pay back their four years, and then actually go do civilian residency later on. So it's kind of a there. There are opportunities to kind of do your timing and get out, and then go back and reapply. Now, I know the pay is like substantially lower, but is the pay among specialties in the military like very different? Or is it very like so you get once you're once you're out and practicing in your specialty, you you get a kind of a, a extra bonus in the year um, that's dependent on your specialty. So mm -hmm. it ranges anywhere from I think like maybe it, I, I don't have the numbers, so that could be completely off base. If any yeah. military people watch it, it's a nav admin. I don't remember what they are, but you can look. Um, so for Navy, it's uh, I think it ranges anywhere from if you're a GMO, you get about 13,000 extra a year. Mm -hmm. to, um, to some of the subspecialties, you get up to 59,000 extra a year. Um, still, you know, not even close to our, and on the surgical side, not even close to our civilian counterparts. Um, yeah. And that likely uh, is what affects the retention significantly. Um, you know, majority, a lot of physicians get out as soon as their time is done. Um, and, and there may be some hope on the horizon. Uh, Congress just kind of raised the ceiling for um, allotments and stuff like that. But whether it's funded or not, we don't know, you know. And so mm. we're, we're kind of just watching that um, over time because I mean, I'll tell you, it's a wonderful job. And I work with wonderful people and, and all those things. But, you know, uh, the pay consideration comes into account. And so that's why a lot of people get out when their time is done. And if they, if it was more balanced, I feel like they probably would retain a lot more people, you know, so. You have pretty good benefits though, right? Like, like don't you get, isn't there a pension plan? So there, yes, that was, that's kind of a new thing that changed while I was in, uh, at my fellowship was they, it used to be, you had to do 20 years. So you pretty uh -huh. much got, um, now they have a, what's called a blended retirement plan where you, it, it's almost like a regular retirement plan. You put in a portion, they match your portion. 
And so at least like now, even if you weren't going to get to that 20 year mark, you are like can save some, um, which has really been great. Like I've been, I've been putting into that and, um, and saving with that, that kind of vehicle. But um, the, you know, while you're active duty of TRICARE, you yeah. know, um, you know, you've got essentially a form of disability insurance where, you know, essentially, cause if you were to get hurt or injured, you know, you would, you would get VA rating at the end and you mm-hmm. get, you know, um, payments from the government for your injuries and stuff like that. And so, um, and there's no overhead, which is nice. I don't have to worry about like employing right. people or paying anybody. Right. Um, there, you know, uh, you're covered by a federal tort reforms act, um, which kind of, you know, uh, does shield you from some liability and stuff like that. And I mean, but at the same time, if the military found out you were doing something wrong, uh, they, they would, they would handle you. So it's like, yeah. not, like, you know, people are doing crazy stuff. It's right. like, they're, you're, you're watched your peer. We still, we have Eminem every month and we, you know, everybody peers are watching you. We do quarterly, uh, evaluations and reviews of each other's cases. And, and then, um, every year, every two years, I think we do, what's called a FIPI where it's like a, another, uh, another like certification that we're like doing the right thing for people and all this stuff. And so, um, but there, I mean, like, it's nice. I mean, you know, Tammy's got healthcare, you know, I don't, health insurance. I don't have to worry about like, if something were to happen, we're all taken care of and Eli, you know, it's covered. So, um, we don't have to put anything out of pocket, you know, for anything it's, it's, um, there, there's, so there's good benefits. And so, I mean, it's not the, the, the main thing I would caution anybody who might watch this, who thinks about doing HPSP or anything is it's wonderful. Like I'm, I'm very happy. I did it. Um, I'm very happy with the, everything that's kind of worked out for me and all those things. But it's like you really have to have that call to serve. If you don't, then you I feel like you get disenfranchised and upset when you watch your colleagues who were your co-residents, yeah. especially if you train civilian, suddenly <laughs> make double to triple what you're making um, in a year. But uh, but if you if you, you know, like my dad was military, my brother's in the military, I, I always wanted to go in. And so I'm very kind of happy with how things worked out. And so it, I'll, I will also be the first to admit that everything kind of worked out for me, you know. Yeah, I got matched to the end and I was able to do a fellowship and then I've gotten to go to a great billet here in San Diego. So I, I definitely had, a, you know, everything's really worked out. But um, and so, you know, I would be happy to talk to anybody and I do about HPSB <laughs> and stuff. But um, it's definitely you have to have that call to want to serve. And then that makes it really worthwhile. How does one if so obviously HPSB, if you, you get started early, you get into that program. What if you know, what if you don't feel like serving you don't feel the call to serve in, until you're like older what avenues are there to get involved so like if you're in residency or residency uh, or after what so yeah. for residency there's a there's another program that's not really advertised as well i feel like by the navy um called fap it's like the financial assistance package um where when you're already in a residency program you can um man that peach tree was so distracting jay uh, <laughs> i think he's and, laughing because he said fap <laughs> yeah, I know. Way to be a child, Jay. Um, so that you, you can you can kind of sign a uh, contract with them that they'll actually give you grants towards your student kind of loans and uh, <laughs> supplemental income on top of your your residency salary that you're getting from the civilian place uh, for a you know a defined time frame after you finish residency. I think it's um, every six months of money or funding that you get from the military. I think it's a year. You'd have to check me on those, but. That's one that, like I said, it's just not advertised very well, but it is, is another great program if you kind of decided in your residency that you wanted to, and they really help kind of pay off your loans and stuff um, while you're in. And then uh, outside, when you're already practicing, there are all kinds of access- accession bonuses and different things that are available. 
Are you still trying not to laugh about that word? No, I had a bathroom, <laughs> bathroom <laughs> break. So there's there's God, all kinds guys, of like, funny. bonuses and stuff that, that they'll like, you know, they'll give you uh, incentive bonuses. There's different things. There are tuition and um, assistance programs and different things, but or not tuition assistance, but like loan repayment options and things that I'm not very well versed on. But your local recruiter would be able to tell you all about them. You know? I've, heard those, I've heard those recruiters can be kind of shady. Well, so I mean, hmm. shady is a shady is a strong, perhaps appropriate yeah. for some people. Uh, but you know, their 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 goal is to get people in the military. So it's like a car salesman, right? That car yeah. salesman's job is to sell you that car, and he's going to do everything he can to sell it to you, right? He's going to tell you all about the bells and whistles and maybe avoid the negatives, right? Yeah. And so that's why I think that there's there are wonderful resources out there about military medicine. Um, you know, there's there is a still functioning portion of student doctor network that has a lot of <laughs> write ups about it and kind of really go in depth about everything. But I um, I would say you really just you you find an opportunity to talk to somebody who's currently active and in the military because the the paradigm is always shifting. You know, there's different things going on. There's different funding issues there or or cuts or increases in funding. There's different you know uh, deployment um, uh, tempos. You know, more people are deploying now for this or less people are deploying. And all those things are something to take into account if you want to go into the military. You know, if you don't want to deploy ever, do not go in the military. Yeah. You know, but if if you you know, um, or you, if you look at that as an opportunity or even a benefit to your practice, then you know, if you some branches deploy more than others, and so the the, the recruiters will kind of tell you all the really good things, and and they they'll they'll t they'll tell you the negatives if you know to ask about them. Um, but their job is to get people to sign up. And so it's, you know, and I'm not saying they're all, they're all bad. Cause I had a wonderful recruiter that was very open and honest when I was in, uh, you know, applying. Mm -hmm. um, but you definitely want to get the, the kind of 60,000 foot view and see everything. Uh, and not just, you know, you want to, you want to talk to people that are active and find out what's going on with military medicine, what's going on with the Navy or air force or yeah. army, you know, really get a good layout of like, what are the opportunities long-term, you know? So so you've been doing this for what a year and a half now, two and a half years. So two and a half, man. Two and There's a half. <laughs> a few years above us, remember? So yeah. however yeah. long we've been almost two years in July. July will be three years. Yeah. Does it ever get less stressful? No. When you start, no. It gets more stressful with time. Is it? Like yeah, uh, because you know the I think the hard part is is that that first complication. Yeah. The first time, like when you first start and the first few cases go great, you're like, oh man, this is awesome, right? Yeah. And then you have a complication or a difficult patient, you have a wound dehiscence or you have an infection or, and you're like, oh God, they all can do this. And you're like, <laughs> oh, you know, like you're, you, you know, and, um, and then, you know, you, you, you still try to do the right thing, you know, and, and you got to take care of people, your jobs to operate. Right. And so you don't let, you don't let things scare you, but you're like, man, I, I just hope I'm doing the right thing for people long-term, you know, like, um, and, uh, and so it's, I feel like it doesn't get easier though, because as you get more knowledge and you have more experience, you just know things can, things can go really, really well. And they will the majority of the time, your patients will do very well. Um, but you also know things can go very not well. <laughs> and like yeah. you're, So you, you know, it's a healthy dose of fear that keeps you awake at night, you know? And so, um, you know, everybody, everybody's kind of told me, uh, and I was talking with my partner, he's a spine surgeon, and he's he's a, a year ahead of me kind of in practice and all that. We were talking the other day, I was like, man, like, when do you get that confidence? Um, because I, you know, I still get I still get stressed out. And I mean, I think it obviously a, a certain level is appropriate. Um, but 
you know, and, and there's always, and I remember being told this by everybody that five years, yeah, five, you hit your stride, yeah. but man, I'm halfway there and I'm <laughs> hitting it. <laughs> so, um, it's, uh, you know, you just like, it, it's, it's just the nature of what we do. You know, you, you got to take the good and the bad and the majority will be good. And then when it's bad, you gotta, you gotta make it good, you know, as best you can. Yeah. And, um, I feel like it, it hasn't gotten easier. I feel like it's just, if anything, gotten more stressful as time's yeah. gone on. So yeah, we, we both had those, those weeks, like months where it's just like, like, it just seems to never end. Like oh, you, your clinic will get you, man. You'll have like, you'll yeah, have like five or six post-ops where like, you're like, bam. And they're like, thank you so much. And blah, yeah. blah, blah. And then that last patient, it'll, it'll hit you right like, in the face. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, I was telling the last time, clinic days stressed me out more than the OR days. At least in the OR days, you feel like you've got some semblance of control and how things are going to go, yep. which is which a lot, which a lot of it is illusion because a lot of it's still out of your control. <laughs> but um, you know, clinic days, you have no idea what's going to come in, what yeah. your post-ops are going to look like. So, yep. you know. yeah, you, you never, you know, nothing, nothing ruins a great surgery like a follow-up. You know, like. Yeah. Uh, you never, you just never know, you know, and um, like I said, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, and you know, in your heart, the majority of your patients do excellent, you know, yeah. it's just like you, it's the ones that don't that just eat at you because, you know, it, it might be just nothing that anybody did, you know, it's nothing that you did. It's nothing that the patient did. It's just fractures sometimes don't heal, you know, or this or that. And then, and then, you know, that kind of three month follow up when you're telling them you're kind of going to get back to normal suddenly becomes six months or nine yeah. months or close to a year and you're like oh i hope we get there you know and so but you do you just do you do the right thing by them and you stay with them you stick with them you know and uh and you know take care of them but um yeah i definitely i definitely feel like it hasn't gotten easier if, if anything i mean every the more surgeries you do it's just the more to keep you awake at night yeah you know? the more ways you see things go wrong it's like oh god you always add up is that you you learn right and so you learn like ooh, that did not work let's yeah. never do that again you know like um and and you really are standing on the shoulders of giants right like and that's why it's it's good and when you're a resident man you got to know you got to know your literature you got to look at stuff you you need to know as a, attending how to really critically analyze papers and look for look for stuff right because <clears throat> i think there's obviously a deficit in publishing right people never want to publish your negative results and I always think back to um, when Thorderson gave grand rounds and he said that he's proud of having the single paper in FAI with the most absolutely worst post-op results. <laughs> and, I, and I wish that, I wish that that was more so something that yeah. people did because if you, if you, if it doesn't work for you, tell everybody, publish yeah. that paper. So other people stop doing it, especially the, you know, the newcomers, like, you know, you stand on the shoulder of giants, you got to look back and see what they, what did they do that really did work? And, um, you know, and, and don't be the first to do something, but don't be the last to start doing it if it's working, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, but and as you get the experience, you, you start to, re you're, you're that guy, you're like, man, realize I'm never doing that procedure again, that did not work, you know, um, but I think it's also sometimes you realize that a procedure doesn't is not what your go to right like, um, like, uh, you know, you might do a, a scar fasciotomy for all bunions, even though the literature says you could, you don't do that for a month, you know, not, not, not to do it, but like a mild can just do a chevron. But if you get really, right. really good at that scarf, that's your go-to. And if you have good results of that, then you're going to go to that every time, you know, yeah, and your hands, that's the one to do. Exactly. So, yeah. Fascinating. All right. We're at, we're at an hour, I think. So, yeah. Corey, uh, let's ask you, 
What's your yeah. favorite bone? And you're you're one of the few foot people we've had on this, so hopefully we'll choose a foot bone because I've been Ooh. I've been so or you choose a normal bone. No, no, no. I choose a foot bone. <laughs> like a real one. All, no, the bones. All the other bones just want to be the foot bone. <laughs> exactly. There we go. Oh man. Well, is it? it oh, it's hard. Let's see. I I gotta I gotta go with uh, navicular, because we all know it's better than scaphoid. I don't care what the hand guys say. And uh, the hand is 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 a uh, is an overly complicated foot anyway. So, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, let's yeah, let's go with navicular. Well, uh, just to, if anything, just to make Jay happy. Yay. <laughs> but only if Jay tells me what his favorite is. Oh, it's the uh, fourth toe middle phalanx. <laughs> All right. All right. So far, I haven't seen anything go wrong with that. But, uh, it makes Let's go. I'm gonna say yours is humorous. I actually don't have one yet. Have yeah, but you haven't told us yours yet. I'm not, I'm wait, not oh, wait, right. You're a sports surgeon. Yeah. You avoid the bones. Yeah. I, be... I, what's your favorite tendon? Tendon. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like a good i like a good patellar tendon yeah that's, like actually, a that's, a really, that's a fun surgery yeah it's a, a good surgery a lot of different ways you could fix it you could take it you could use it other places it's pretty good right. what's your least favorite bone least favorite bone um probably the navicular <laughs> no i'm just kidding <laughs> no um my least favorite bone would probably be probably the distal humerus. Okay. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. We all, we all, do any, that. Mo most things around the elbow I don't like. Yeah. I know mean, I'll do them, but they, it's not really fun. Yeah. So, Come on, Jay. What's yours? Um, we got one. Hmm. Fourth toe, toe proximal fitness. No, no, no. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm just a humorous is, is a good one, actually. You uh, just took mine. I well, know, I know, but it, it's a good I'll one. Say, I'll say the the radius. I hate the radius. I hate four <laughs> stuff, but uh, the radial head, man, is a nightmare. I don't copy you like Jay. I got to use Everything around the elbow sucks. I did this surgery. I don't want. I don't want to be too detailed, but I did a surgery. It was pretty. It was an easy. It was. It was relatively <laughs> easy surgery because it was a non-displaced fracture. I just freaking put a plate on it. But anyway, like obviously, it's going to go well because it was not that complicated. It was non-displaced and whatever. But he's still stiff. Like that's that's the point. Every, like yeah, just, every elbow. Elbow. It's just. It's like what it's do you like do about the, it? Like, these releases you have to do and all that stuff, man. It's great being a foot surgeon. I'll yeah. tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. Like he's still stiff. God damn. <laughs> All right, that's what she said. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thanks, Michael. <laughs> All, right. All right, good time, Corey. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Good catching up with you. All right. Thanks, Corey. All right, later, guys. And that'll do it for this week. Thank you to Dr. Jamie for giving us an hour of his time. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you do like this episode and like what we're doing, you can catch any of our other episodes at our website, orthotalkpod.com. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at our email address, theorthopodcast at gmail.com, or shoot us a message on Twitter at orthotalkpod. If you want to catch the video of any of our podcasts, you could YouTube our YouTube channel, which if you go on YouTube and type in orthotalkpod, you will find us. And if you really like what we're doing, go ahead and give us five stars on your favorite podcasting platform. We really do appreciate it. Thank you guys for the opportunity.